Welcome to How Science Happens, a podcast by Wally Paxton, DJ So, and Doug Tree, professors at Brigham Young University. In the podcast, we bring you stories of cutting-edge science as told by world-class scientists and engineers from around the world who are on the front lines doing the work. We explore the highs and lows of discovery and what makes science such an exhilarating and frustrating process for those who do it. And because we're nerds, maybe we'll even learn a little science along the way. Uh, welcome to another episode of How Science Happens. I'm Wally Paxton, and I'm here with DJ Sale. Hi. Hi, and, uh, and um we have a guest today. Our, our guest today is Professor Naveen Kashab, who comes to us from the King Abdullah University of Science and Technology in Saudi Arabia. So a long-distance interview that we have today. Um, she is studying smart hybrid materials, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, real quickly, and we're going to go through this a little bit when we talk about your background, um, but she earned her bachelor's degree from American University in Beirut. Is that right? Yes, in okay. Lebanon. All right. Everybody knows about that because of the bomb that just happened recently because of yeah. the nitrates. Yeah, that's right. So there's, there's a little chemistry tie in there that was um, uh, of current recent interest. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you went to, um, I'm, I'm double checking here, this is uh, University of Florida for your PhD. Yes. And then uh, a postdoc at UCLA, and which switched to Northwestern University, and I think we'll get into a little bit of why in a few minutes here. But I wanted to point out a couple of awards, um, some, some teaching awards, um, a Crow Award in Organic Chemistry when you were at the University of Florida, and then more recently, a L'Oreal UNESCO Award for Women in Science in 2017. So congratulations on, on those, and we're really happy to have you here. Thanks, That's Wally. great. Fantastic. Um, so uh, just I'm really excited to talk to you today um, for the reasons of your, your current research where you've combined, you've combined organic materials with uh, inorganic materials. Um, and I'm excited to get into that, but, but before we do, I want to talk a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to where you are today. Um, a lot of our listeners are interested in, in the paths that scientists take and how it's not always the same path. And I thought yours was, was pretty interesting. So, so first of all, how did you get interested in science in the first place, Naveen? Uh, well, um, I just wanted to start by saying uh, thank you uh, for having me on your um, uh, show. Uh, thank you, Wally and DJ. Uh, it's an honor, actually, um, to talk to you today. And um, I I'm really happy that um, we'll have a lot of students listening to us. So as to my path, um, well, it was a really interesting one and, um, you know, a little bit dangerous, funny in a sense, <laughs> but as a, as a, as a kid, um, uh, I remember, um, you know, probably around eight, nine years old, um, I lived with my grandma, uh, and, um, uh, she's, um, you know, she passed away. Uh, she's an older lady. She had a lot of, uh, medicines, um, you know, lying around that, that should not be safe, of course. But I had a hobby of grinding uh, different pills and mixing the colors. Um, thank God I, I've never tried anything. 
I did <laughs> break a couple of thermometers though because it was neat oh. to see mercury. Um, uh, so, um, okay. So it's just a curiosity, I think. Um, I ended up being safe, so <laughs> no, no major accident. That's good. But um, of course, nobody should do that. But uh, I was uh, probably you, could sh you should say that I'm, I should say that probably I'm not. I was not that well supervised. But uh -huh. um, I, I, this is uh, honestly when I started, or the curiosity uh, of of the chemistry of the materials started. So quite at a younger age, and um, uh, the the idea of making materials uh, of from the atom, uh, so atom molecule up, to actually make um, a, a, a material that you can touch and use. Uh, this was uh, really uh, my passion, you know, from a younger age that, I, you know, I, I found myself wanting to know more about materials and how I can use them to make a life in general or, or a better um, a lot of the applications. So I started, yes, as um, just a, a young kid experimenting with the uh, medicine cabinet. <laughs> well, I'm glad that everything worked out safely there. That's that is always good to hear. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, this this is kind of one of the one of the things that we talk a lot about is that is that chemistry happens on the atomic and molecular level, but from that you can build up materials, macro scale materials or uh, materials that have a specific purpose that come from the interactions of these atoms and molecules all the way up to the macro scale level. Right. That's really cool. Well, so, so you, you, uh, you survived, you're experimenting with the medicine cabinet and then got into, that's good, and then got into uh, science later on. Um, we yes, this, was, this was very interesting, yes, because um, uh, both of my parents, and this is maybe um, uh, probably a message uh, for uh, everybody out there who likes science but feels that uh, maybe, uh, uh, you know, they don't have uh, enough scientists or enough science going around in the family. So both of my parents uh, did not finish high school, and um, uh, they did not really know, uh, like, what chemistry was all about. But um, that's totally okay. If this is something that you're passionate about, then you should go ahead and do it. Uh, and this is what I did. Um, so um, I knew that I, this is um, something that's interesting and this is what I wanted to do uh, um, for my university. So I started um, working uh, you know, for my uh, bachelor's degree in chemistry. Uh, of course, um, people think that if you do chemistry or biology, you're, you're going to end up being mainly, a lot of people think it, at least, a, a medical doctor. Uh -huh. But for mm -hmm. me, uh, after I finished my bachelor's, I really wanted to continue more down the path of organic chemistry. And I call it the art of making a bond uh, and uh, making a molecule from, uh, well, you know, making a molecule from scratch in um, a new molecule, something that could be uh, intriguing and interesting. So mm -hmm. um, I was lucky to get a scholarship to go to University of Florida, where I worked with a synthetic chemist. Um, he passed away, uh, Professor Alan Kutrisky. He's a heterocyclic chemist, so he, um, I dealt a lot with heterocycles. Uh, very interestingly, I did a lot of hair dyes, so we had a mm -hmm. project mm -hmm. with L'Oreal who we're going to oh, okay. talk about in a little bit. So I worked a lot with hair dyes um, and cosmetics. Uh, and uh, then um, uh, I met uh, my Fraser Stoddard, who is my uh, postdoc advisor and uh, the Nobel Prize winner, of course. And uh, 
also this is where I met Wally <laughs> later mm-hmm. on, oh, so okay. we're colleagues. Um, and, and, but this is how it happened after graduating from Florida. I went to uh, uh, UCLA with Fraser and then uh, moved to uh, uh, Northwestern also with Fraser because he made the move from uh, from UCLA to Northwestern around the time oh, okay. that I was there. So, so you were in the same lab, huh? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, we were in this. We were in the same lab. We were postdocs together. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, and postdocing to a well. By then, he was not a Nobel Prize winner. But trust me, I don't know what yeah. Wally had to say, but. Postdocing with Fraser started was a great experience, of course, but it needed a lot of hard work. So uh-huh. it was, um, you know, it was nice, uh, you know, having colleagues like Wally with me in the lab uh, then. And yeah, this is in general my, you know, very quickly how, uh, you know, I went from um, uh, my undergraduate institute in Beirut, Lebanon, and through a scholarship to the U.S. to do my uh, PhD and then my postdoc, uh, my postdoc appointment later on. Uh-huh. Okay, so I this is my first time hearing the word postdocing. Did you say postdocing? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I never heard the word before. I did a postdoc <laughs> myself as well, but this is my first time hearing about postdocing. Yes, it can yeah. be a verb also. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, so, like now you have Googling, so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're right, yeah. That's right. So I want to, since we've got a lot of people who um, who have not yet made that transition to graduate school, Naveen, I wanted to ask you, uh, what was your experience choosing a lab? I heard you say scholarship in there somewhere, um, but how did you choose where to go to graduate school at first? And then I'll, and then we'll talk about the group you picked on. You picked. Yeah, so later. I believe you talked about you play with the medicines, that is sometimes the organic chemistry, but I mean, you can choose, you can choose a lot of different fields in, inside the chemistry. But mm-hmm. Why did you choose this field for your, uh, for your PhD? Yeah, so uh, it all boils down to when I played with the, <laughs> with the medicines as a kid, growing up, of course, in high school, uh, I took, uh, um, yeah, you know, we took, chemistry classes Mm -hmm. and looking into the structures of drugs I've seen the CC bond and the kind of um, uh, macro cycles and heterocycles that usually small drug molecules are made of so um, in high school I knew that this is the kind of chemistry that I wanted to do I wanted to prepare uh, drugs I wanted to help people uh, by prepare uh, you know you know uh, probably r and ding or uh, working uh, essentially on the r and ding research and developmenting <laughs> yes okay. research and development research, right. research and development of of, of a small uh, molecule drug or essentially drug molecules that could benefit uh, uh, you know that could go into clinical trials and so on and so forth so I knew the type of chemistry from the structures of the drugs that I looked at and you know a simple molecule is just caffeine and you can look at it and you see the uh, aromatic uh, part and you see um, you know kind of bonds it's made of uh, if you look at paracetamol just uh, the Advil um, uh, and and this is how uh, you know I kind of identified with the kind of chemistry I wanted to do so I knew I wanted to do organic synthesis yeah and using oh. chemistry to make molecules that have never existed before I think is one of the really cool powers of chemistry. 
Sure. So this is what makes like, it makes it better or cooler than physics. Of course, the physicists don't like that, but you know, <laughs> right, right. We, we make stuff that we can touch. Yeah. So it seems like you had a really good experience with your high school chemistry. So is it right, or did your high school high school chemistry teacher uh, affect you a lot in choosing your major? Well. Uh, you know, quite frankly, I, I think any teacher at any stage of your career can, uh, you know, uh, you know, affect or have or have some, you know, some effect on 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 how you feel about um, a certain uh, area of research or a certain topic or a certain course, pretty much. Yeah, so, yes, definitely. Teachers, te teachers do have that kind of influence, but. Um, uh, in during high school, I, I recognized that you know the material that I played with uh, as a kid, this is this their structure. This is what they look like, and this is called organic chemistry. Uh, if you're making a CC bond and forming, putting reactants together to make a new molecule, uh, this is uh, the kind of chemistry that got me interested um, uh, to begin with in, in this field. So. Yeah, so you can say that, um, and of course I had great teachers in high school, but all in all, um, this is how I identified myself as, you know, a synthetic organic chemist. Mm -hmm. All right. So how did you end up choosing a graduate school? You probably had a, some different options before you, and a lot of our listeners sure. will as well. So real story real story and uh, you know I've, I don't think I've never I've, I've ever said that before so um, I, I am I, I am Lebanese um, so I'm Lebanese Saudi so my mom is Saudi my dad is Lebanese I lived in Beirut uh, um, you know until I was uh, 20 21 uh, uh, until I finished undergrad that is mm -hmm. and when I went to, to go to grad school I've never visited I've ha have never visited uh, the U.S. before. So actually, it was my undergraduate advisor who advised me to go to Gainesville, uh, so mm -hmm. University of Florida, mm. uh, because it's a college town, it's um, uh, relatively safe, um, and maybe we use the word, uh, so, so because, you know, I was by myself the first time going, I was a little bit skeptical, where should I go? So I actually um, was, uh, other than going to a good school, and I wanted to go to um, a good environment, uh, safe environment. Sure. Um, uh, so, so this, uh, quite frankly, played a, a big role in me. Um, of choosing University of Florida, because I actually uh, did get other, uh, uh, get into other places, but they were more in a uh, city uh, setting and uh -huh. uh, the advice well, well as for me I mean for somebody who was, who was not familiar international student coming uh, the first time to the U.S. Uh, to go more to a college town so um, we decided on Gainesville. Yeah well it sounds like you made a good choice and it sounds like you had a good experience out there. How did yeah. you end up choosing your research group? Well, you know, I also chose uh, University of Florida because uh, Professor Alan Katritsky was there and okay. I was uh, familiar with him. He's, uh, he passed away four years ago, but he is known as pro probably one of the uh, most uh, known um, heterocyclic chemists. Uh, mm -hmm. So, um, of course, the the type of research that the advisor is doing, if this is, I, I knew that he was working on different 
uh, precursors for medicines uh, uh, and uh, precursors for, as I said, cosmetics and hair dyes. And this is really uh, the synthetic uh, kind of chemistry that I wanted to do. So other than where the university was and the general atmosphere of you know, living situation, um, uh, most importantly is the kind of research that you wanna do. And if there is an advisor or professor or a lab there uh, mm -hmm. that kind of caters to your interest. And yeah, Professor Kitritsky was doing that. So um, I thought this would be the, the best place for me to be. So, so it wasn't just a great, a great university um, and in a nice location, a college town that was a little bit less urban than maybe some of the other places, but the research and you actually picked out a professor that you wanted to work with. That was an important part of your decision then. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, he was at okay. University of Florida, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Did you have a chance to research why you are in the undergraduate program? Yes, yes, I did. Okay. Yes, yes. I, and I, I was working on organic synthesis of thiazol compounds. So, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So then after, after, um, after your work at Gainesville, um, you went to UCLA. Yeah. Now, I know a little bit about, about Fraser's lab, and, and what he did was not natural product synthesis, no, but no. what we sometimes called unnatural product synthesis. Sure. So sure, tell me a little sure. bit about your transition there. Sure. So, uh, um, uh, so 2006 was a great year. I graduated um, University of Florida. They won both football and basketball. So it was a great year. All right. <laughs> so, um, and, and what was really interesting is that year as well, we had a conference and uh, Fraser was the, um, uh, you know, the keynote speaker at Florida. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a note for all the students who are, who are gonna, you know, uh, l who will listen to this, is that at that point I had an offer uh, to go to, uh, 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 you know, an offer for a postdoc position at, mm -hmm. uh, at uh, a, a different university, actually in Georgia Tech. Uh, so, um, and everything was kind of finalized and, you know, I was just supposed to graduate and go. And then mm -hmm. I heard a Fraser talk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, the, the lab that I was going to work on, oh, sorry, work with, worked on um, uh, anti-cancer drugs. So mm -hmm. since this is an anti-cancer drug, this is what, what, uh, what I was going to do for my postdoc. But then I heard uh, Fraser talk during this uh, meeting, and this is why it's important for students to listen to different talks and, you know, what other people are doing to just widen, because I did not know this kind of chemistry and it just mm -hmm. blew me away i was like wow you don't uh -huh. you, you can actually make molecules that move and uh, you know respond uh -huh. to change and there is this um, beautiful um, interconnected chains and uh you know this mechanical type of uh, molecular movement it's just like, uh, honestly, it was, it was like a wow effect. And uh, I remember when he finished his talk, I went and <laughs> talked to him. And uh, he's like, you know, he's very, very friendly. And he invited me to UCLA to just, you know, check out the group. Uh -huh. Of course, I was ecstatic. And I went to UCLA just like a couple of days after. Oh, okay. And I, I really liked the lab. And, you know, he offered me a position. So I just moved there like within two weeks. So it was, it oh, was okay. like nothing planned. But the chemistry uh, was just, you know, you, sometimes you, you think you know 
what you want to do very, very well. And this is your plan. But uh-huh. you should also keep an eye out for stuff that you did not know existed. And maybe if you knew, you'll feel more passionate about. And this is exactly what happened to me in terms of supramolecular chemistry. Right. This is what I call having a plan so that you know when it's okay to deviate from the plan. If exactly. you're just wandering around, nothing ever, you, you know, you may end up, you may have a really interesting path as well. But if you have a goal, and then you identify what the opportunities are from that goal, and then you can see what the opportunities are that branch off from that, then you can see that it's okay to make deviations from that plan if the opportunities look really good. So exactly. yeah, that's, yeah. that's nice to hear that. And, I, and that is a common theme that I've heard for a, from a lot of scientists is that you know, they wanted to do one thing, but they ended up doing something that was just way more interesting than they ever thought. And yeah, yeah. I, should, I should say, if you went to Georgia Tech and did anti-cancer drugs, I'm sure that you would have had a stellar career there as well. And we love Georgia Tech, and, and, but, but this is your path. And I think it's a really interesting one that you've taken here. Thank um, you all. Yeah, I've never expected it, but this is what happened. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I think a, a lot of us have had similar realizations um, you know, mid-career and, and uh, we find ourselves in a good place. So um, after, you you went to UCLA and then of course uh, um, uh, the Stoddart group moved from UCLA to Northwestern at some point in your career there um, and then you started doing things that had to do a little bit more with not making drugs but doing drug delivery if I remember yeah. right yeah because see and this is the beauty about uh, learning you know looking at different perspectives uh, I I was always I always wanted to do drug molecules and molecules that make people feel better. But of course, after going through graduate school and doing all this kind of research and the reading and the writing, mm-hmm. I realized that the problem was not with making better drugs. Actually, there are a lot of molecules which can kill any type of cancer, you know, mm-hmm. it crosses your mind. The problem was delivering that molecule to where it needs to go. So the problem was not to make the most potent molecule to kill cancer or to uh, treat Alzheimer's or um, uh, to, to pretty much uh, de, uh, you know, um, help a diabetic uh, patient. But the problem was to deliver this molecule into the body to where it needs to go. And this is why pretty much when, uh, unfortunately, a lot of us have seen people going through chemotherapy, you see them uh, losing their hair, um, uh, mm-hmm. losing weight. Uh, this is because the chemotherapy, which is essentially toxic, not, not very toxic, but yes, rel- relatively toxic agents that are given to you to kill the cancer cells, actually kill normal cells in the mm-hmm. process. And so having a best delivery vehicle, imagine that so just a capsule where it has a potent drug that goes directly to where the disease is and neutralizes mm-hmm. it without affecting healthy, normal organs in your body. So this was the key. The problem was not in the discovery of potent material, but in the delivery of potent materials. Right, right. So, and, and this is a theme I, that I think you've, you've carried on now into your career um, and, and we're almost there, but I, I did want to ask real quickly, what was, what was it like your transition from, um, from a postdoc at Northwestern University um, to your job search and then how you, how you ended up where you are now? So, 
uh, very quickly, so we'll have a little bit of time to talk about my research. Um, uh, actually, because of my Saudi heritage, I was contacted when I was at Fraser's lab. Okay. So I was gonna go, um, yeah, I was gonna go out, uh, quite frankly, for positions in the States uh, as an uh -huh. assistant professor, and I had a couple of interviews lined up, actually four, but uh, then the call uh, came uh, from uh, Saudi Arabia due to uh, my um, Middle Eastern heritage, and they told me about KAUST being a new institute that's going to open as a graduate institute with amazing research capabilities, and they wanted me to join them. And uh, I was very ecstatic to be able to go back home and still do the kind of chemistry that I wanted to work on and have an um, you know, excellent research uh, institute to kind of support uh, uh, you know, uh, what I had in mind. So I actually um, uh, moved to KAUST and I was part of the founding faculty. All right. Yeah, that's, that's been fantastic. And, uh, and you guys have been doing some great work there now. Um, and, and so, so that's what I want to talk about now. Um, and, and this gets into a, a little bit of a transition from, from what you were doing um, as a postdoc at Northwestern um, to what you're doing now, it looks like you have you have created some delivery vehicles for certain kinds of therapeutics. And so the the paper, I'm not going to read the title, but um, but this this is using metal organic frameworks for gene editing. And there's there's a few different parts to this. Um, and so I wanted you to to kind of give us a, um, just like a high-level synopsis of, of what you were doing, and then we'll talk about some of these different topics. Okay, so quite quite quickly, because you mentioned the, uh, the uh, smart hybrid materials part, so I'm going to just uh, touch upon that, you know, just as a general introduction. Okay. So um, the hybrid part comes from having materials that are not completely organic, so organic and inorganics. And uh, the SMART is, uh, comes from the fact that you, I wanted to have material that respond to a stimulus. So if there is light, they, some, they would open up or close. Uh, there is um, a difference in pH or um, mm -hmm. the presence of a certain enzyme. The reason is the control. So I wanted my material to have the control and to have a control, uh, the material need to respond to a stimulus pretty much. So this is, Part uh, important part for the controlled uh, de delivery or control so you have a trigger that will allow you to that will allow the system to release where it needs to release exactly yeah. exactly okay. so so uh, and as to the hybrid part if you look at our bodies um, Wally so this is where the um, inspiration from nature comes um, a lot of people think that stuff needs to be completely organic because of course we are you know made of lipids and proteins and everything is organic. But if you look closer, we have a lot of inorganics there. Uh, I mean, just look at your bones, right? Yeah. And, um, all, all the ions, the chloride channel, potassium channel, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, so, so essentially uh, um, ions are there. Uh, and uh, this is why when thinking about the next generation delivery, um, my line of thought is we should not just strictly focus on completely organic because if we just look at our bodies, uh, they're not strictly organic, right? So we're not, you know, a homogeneous system. We're more a heterogeneous setting where we have mm -hmm. organics and inorganics. So this is really what inspired um, my, like the next generation of materials that I'm preparing in the lab. 
Yeah, and our body can tolerate some kinds of inorganic materials and, and sure. we can use those for, for things like drug delivery. Yep, yes. Okay, so, um, so what you're using the, these, uh, well, tell us a little bit about your, your delivery vehicle, specifically in this paper, um, and then what it is you're trying to deliver, what it is you're trying to do. So in this paper, um, I uh, present, uh, so, so this paper is a sequel, comes in a, in a, in a uh, sequence of papers uh, where we focus on the delivery of a gene editing uh, system. It's called the CRISPR-Cas9. Cas9, okay. this is a protein uh, that actually uh, can uh, pretty much just very, uh, in layman's turn, uh, cut a, you know, a fragment of the DNA that's defective and replace it with a, a, a good one, okay? So this is very important for uh, genetic diseases and uh, CRISPR-Cas9 technology is, is um, since like, I mean, started five years ago. It's a new way of, of dealing with genetic diseases or trying to, to deal with genetic diseases. Okay, a, a so, problem, if you've got, so if you've got like a, a gene that codes for some, uh, some genetic disease, you could have uh -huh. this system go in and cut out that gene that codes for that particular disease and remove it mm -hmm. and then exactly. and then replace it with with something else so that's that's the exactly. vision here between behind using crispr to yes. edit gene dis, uh, genetic diseases yeah yes. okay so cool. if i understand correctly you're not trying to kill what is not good for body but you try no, to actually no, no. put this it is, back to yes. yeah, yeah you're rewriting the instructions condition. Exactly. So, so everybody needs to understand that the problem with delivery is not delivering small molecule drugs only. No, no, not at all. Actually, the major point of delivery is delivering more valuable target like proteins that the body mm -hmm. needs or uh, RNA to actually do gene and DNA to do gene editing. These kind of um, delivery are definitely more valuable targets than delivering small molecule drugs because they're not, they're not soluble or in water or something like that. So mm -hmm. delivery of, of gene editing machinery, RNAs, uh, proteins, this is the next generation. And if you look at the market, and, and uh, I'm sure yeah, your students are pretty smart and they can check it out. Uh, the market of biologics, so uh, like biology material, like proteins and as drugs and vaccines, uh, obviously with the current situation, is uh, for the last uh, probably uh, six to seven years is uh, way higher than the market for small drug molecules. So mm -hmm. these kind of targets are taken over eventually with all the new, um, you know, uh, materials that being on the market. So proteins, antibodies and stuff like that. And this is what we wanted our work to focus on the next generation of delivery. So I'm so biomolecular. Yeah, biomolecular exactly. therapeutics. Yes. Okay. okay. So if I understand correctly, we have a solution to how to cure cancers. But the problem here is at this uh, stage of research, basically people are not uh, this stage of research. At this stage of uh, therapy, we are targeting many different cells. That's the reason why you like to focus more on the delivery. Is it right? Yes, because there is no way to target the drug to go one way or another. Once you take a, a drug, essentially, or you take you take something in, it goes everywhere. I don't want to uh -huh. just focus on the word drug. So once you, you take something up, the body takes something up, 
you have no way of telling where it needs to go. So the, the, the best way to do the targeting is to encapsulate it and to control the release of it, to have it go to a certain place. And, you know, think of it as a taxi cab, right? Um, you know, you want to go into this taxi cab and have the taxi take you exactly to that single spot where you need to drop off the drug. So this is the idea of having this kind of smart system to deliver the drug. Without the taxi cab dropping you off, without the taxi cab dropping you off in the middle of the street, exactly. <laughs> you want to get to your destination. Yeah, exactly. that's so. Right. I'm curious. So you are trying to deliver some medicine, which will, which is going to work for the cancer cell. But what if your taxi driver drop you off in the wrong place, and does it affect your healthy cells? Yeah, this is what pretty much happens with the. Uh, chemotherapy nowadays because if pretty much uh, the taxi driver uh, does a lot of stops so and and all these healthy cells gets affected and and this is why we see a lot of side effects for chemotherapy so the idea is to have the drug go into the taxi and get dropped off only at a single site you know where it needs to go so that's the idea and and, and essentially not necessarily as i said again not a drug, but any cargo. Okay. Uh, for example, uh, let's say, uh, let's switch gears here. Um, if we talk about um, Alzheimer's, right? So you want a medicine to go through the blood-brain barrier, so to go into your head, which is very hard to do, of course, for good reasons, because you don't want everything to go uh, through your brains, and that's going to be a problem. So you have this um, a blood-brain barrier. And so if you have these smart mechanisms of delivery, then you can have a better way of, of treating that as well. So it's not really what you can, it's, it's endless possibilities. You just need to figure out how you deliver a cargo from outside the body to a single side destination inside the body. Yep. So Naveen, tell us a little bit about the taxi cab that you guys have designed. So your, your it's, a, it's a cute taxi cab and uh, it's a very uh, roomy. So uh, uh -huh. that's it good. Good. Makes a lot of proteins. So cast nine is big. Uh, and when you consider looking um, at a protein, considering to a small molecule drug, so it's, um, uh, um, you know, 10,000 kilodaltons, I believe. And um, uh, so it's very roomy. It takes, it, it kind of covers. So the protein goes in, we close that up. Uh, close the taxi door. And what we do is, uh, let's say um, we want to send it to uh, a cell A. Uh, we actually um, harvest that cell A and um, uh, we do, uh, we actually take the membrane, so outside of the cell. So all the proteins and everything that's actually found on A, uh, that cell A, and then we get this material and we coat our taxi with this material. The reason we do this is that the cell A in the body, when we actually inject this capsule or this taxi in the body, is itself because it has all the same uh, proteins on the surface or the sur uh, same ligands, antigens, whatever. So it, the targeting would be way better. So the, the of course, some stuff would still go other in other places, especially the liver, because um, you know, if not not 100% mm -hmm. delivery, but at least we get a very high selectivity of that taxi going directly to cell A, just because it looks like it. Ah, so it it's, it looks familiar to those cells, and yes. so 
and, and and does this help with the uptake of the of the materials inside of your delivery vehicle? Yes, sure, sure. I mean, you mean the cover? The, the yeah. So because so, what because once it gets there, now it looks like the other cells. Um, how does how does the cargo get out then of the container? and then into the other cells. Exactly, so thank you, sorry, I did not, you know. So, so once it gets there, um, we, we uh, definitely always play with the pH trigger. So okay. um, cancer okay. cells have a more acidic environment than normal cells. So once it gets there, the acidity around it, so lower pH of 5.5, so we have the bonds to be susceptible to acidic pH, so there's, they start the breaking. So the bonds, so you can think about it as the doors and the, uh, you know, and the roof of the taxi, made of uh -huh. these um, uh, 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 bonds that would actually fall apart in acidic conditions. And this is how the taxi comes apart and the cargo is released in, in, inside the cancer cells. Okay, all right. So then how well does it work? So tell us what, what happens when, when you do this to, to the cancer cells and you so, deliver so far, CRISPR-Cas9. So far, and, and this is, of course, uh, with the data that you guys are going to see in the paper. So this is, of course, still not done. Uh, well, we started animal work, but we did not mm -hmm. have uh, all the conclusive results. So it works pretty well. Of mm -hmm. course, uh, we still have a long way uh, with making sure of the safety, you know, of, of the capsule and what happens afterwards and the pharmacokinetics, but this is why mm -hmm. chemists need pharmacists and, and, and you know, medicinal chemists in, um, uh, to help us figure out the dosing and the next stage of understanding what's going on uh, after the delivery and the successful uh, delivery of the cargo. We need to make sure what is the fate of the material, what's happening, if there's any toxicity, if, uh, you know, but so far, so good. Like so far in terms of controlling the release of the cargo, uh, we're on the right track. Okay, all right. All right, so you're able to get some of the, get some of the CRISPR-Cas9, um, you're able to deliver that. And you can see, I, I'm, lo I'm looking here at some of the figures now. And so you did some mouse studies and you looked at where these, where these materials were going, is that right? Yeah, and we still need to do a lot of these mouse work still. So well, yeah, we'll yeah. So this is just uh, like a preliminary study of, of the feasibility of this uh, reaction or this essentially uh, pathway. And currently we're doing a lot of work still on the in vivo uh, applicability so, um, mm -hmm. of the system. Yeah, this is really cool. This is really nice work. <laughs> Thank you so um, much. And, and so, and I and I appreciate you making the uh, making the important point that this isn't something that's like, hey, I had an idea, and hey, I went into the lab, and hey, I made it happen, and hey, I've cured cancer, and like it took six months because, oh, no, as we know in research, that that's not how things develop, and particularly when you're talking about editing genetic material in a living organism, yeah. there is an awful lot that needs to be done to make sure that this is safe and that it is doing what you think it's doing and that it's not doing things that it's not supposed to be doing right exactly. Mm -hmm. it's exactly it's multi-steps people need to be patient and um um you know uh, try different aspects so especially if 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 you're interested in 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 uh, 
you know, any medical applications, anything that, you know, gets, you know, inside a, a human being needs a lot of approvals and a lot of testings and a lot of tweaking. Um, of course, the end suite result is great. For example, making a new, um, uh, you know, system that treats a certain disease, it's, it's beyond awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's a long way and people need to be patient. But if you love what you're doing, uh, you'll enjoy every step of it. So yeah, that's, go ahead. I have, I have a question. So you use a zeolite for your uh, taxi vehicle. But what happens the taxi driver shuts you off? What happens to zeolite in our body? So, so this is why we used ZIF-8 and we're focusing on that because it's made of imidazole. Imidazole is very biocompatible. Actually, histidine and, has and an imidazole. Just real quick, ZIF-8, Zif this is a, a metal organic framework. Yes. So a combination of some inorganic material and then some so organic it's an, linkers. A metal ion and an mm -hmm. organic linker. We chose an organic linker that's um, imidazole, which is, um, which is found in histidine, which is an amino acid in the body. So we wanted something very biocompatible with okay. zinc 2 plus. And there are many proteins like um, uh, uh, zinc fingers uh, that have uh, zinc. And so zinc is available in the body. So we, we, we tried to go with a design that's very biocompatible. Okay. Well, very cool. So, so what, what did you learn from, from your study and then what are you gonna do next? Well, what I learned, as I told you, that it's still a long way with the mm -hmm. tweaking of the system to make sure that, you know, um, do we understand the mechanism because the most important thing is we need to understand the science so we can make better. So we make this, so we can make the science better. So, um, uh, and I'm still working, you know, uh, for future plans um, because this is very promising. Now we're looking at other types of encapsulations, uh, right? Not just CRISPR for human beings. We're trying to do um, CRISPR for plants because you can do gene editing in this probably in terms of, um, uh, you know, getting stuff approved would be a little bit faster than stuff in human beings. Yes. So we're looking at the gene editing in plants. Uh, this is kind of my next step, uh, more agricultural. And this is just for your students who um, will, um, um, uh, you know, see different passes in chemistry, not just uh, the medical, but also agricultural. Mm, okay. Yeah. Very cool. So metal organics for gene editing and uh, designing, designing the right taxi cab that can get to the cells that you want to deliver this right. genetic, this genetic editing material to. Okay. Really great stuff. Thank you, okay. Wally. And yeah, um, you you know, thank you uh, for, for the questions. Thank you for having me. And, so I have one last, uh, you know, one last question for you. And then, okay, and, then go ahead. We'll, and then we'll wrap up. So if you go could go back to college again, you could start at American University again and study something different, but you couldn't study chemistry, okay? So none of this stuff had been done, or you couldn't study uh, organic chemistry. What would you do? Uh, probably uh, something along the lines of biology because uh, to do the, 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 you know, the drug delivery and this kind of work, Mm -hmm. uh, the bio background is very, very important. So probably, um, you know, biology. Okay. Okay. All right. Fascinating. Thank you so much. Our guest Thank today you, Wally. You is guys Professor have a Kashab. Uh, Thank thanks for joining you. us. And, and we will talk to you again sometime soon, Naveen. Okay. Thank you. Have a great yep. day. Bye-bye. Thank Bye -bye. you.
thank you for listening to this episode of How Science Happens with your hosts, Wally Paxton, DJ So, and Doug Tree. For more information about the podcast, the hosts, or our guests, please visit our website at bit.ly slash howscience. For additional comments or questions, we can be reached by email at howscience at byu.edu.